Another day in the Pac-12's existential crisis and Pete Thamel's long nightmare of realignment continues. We will have the latest and we start our conference preview series going B1G. This is the College Game Day podcast for Thursday, August 3rd. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel here. I promise we're going to do fun things, like we're going to talk about whether Ohio State has a great quarterback situation, whether Penn State with Drew Aller will actually upgrade their quarterback situation, and who will win the Big Ten and who might be a challenger in the West, and if Iowa will score more than 40 points in a single game this season. But first, because it's August, and because chaos reigns in terms of in terms of trying to find conference landing places for everybody, Pete, what do you have on the Pac-12? Pac-12 existing still as we speak right now. The Pac-12, the Pac-9, however you want to say, it, is still in existence. And what's what's the future of that? As as we tape, I can confirm that it exists and will play one more season. One fine football season, by the way. It's going to be a heck of a year. It's got, out there. It's got some um, great teams. Or I don't know if they're going to be great teams. teams. They've got some great. They've teams. got really talented squads and a plethora of outstanding quarterbacks. For if this is the last yes. run. Yes. Well, like, let's hope it's not an Irish week <laughs> where there's rollicking <laughs> games amid a amid a sad backdrop here. We want to preview every conference before, the, as it stands right now, we're using current membership, ones that will play on the field in that conference this year. Every team in the conferences, even if we have to do it quickly on an egg timer, our, uh, our crack producers, Taylor and Sarah, are going to uh, hold us to account with some of the teams. Uh, other teams will get a little more run. And since we're starting with B1G, I think you can guess which teams will get a little more run um, in this. So let's let's start a little conference talk and, and talk some actual football with camps starting to open. Some have already opened. And the Big Ten has Michigan coming back as the reigning back-to-back champions going for the three-peat that's caused great consternation in Columbus who you know sort of inexplicably Ryan Day something like 45 and 6 and people are all mad because you know two of the losses have have come at the hands of the despised Wolverines and now they've got to go to Ann Arbor and Ohio State is wildly talented as they always are but the best team in the Big Ten is where we're going to start. And we're going to start with a team in Ann Arbor, in my judgment. Uh, the Michigan Wolverines returning about 15 starters. J.J. McCarthy coming back. Some uh, A scout said the other day, and I know there are a million scouts that can say whatever they want to, that they think that by the end of the season, he's going to be in the mix among the upper echelon of quarterbacks considered in the NFL draft because he has that type of ability. Needs only to add to the polish. They've got... A great tandem of running backs. They've got a, an outstanding tight end, two of them actually, when you uh, consider that uh, A.J. Barner has transferred there from Indiana. And they've replenished on the offensive line the way they have the last few years with uh, experienced players from the portal. And they added a pass rusher. What's not to like, Pete Thamel? Um, I like a lot. I would I would deem them the favorite. I, I, I am, you know, results driven and returners driven. And they have the 
better returning quarterback. They have better returning tailbacks. They have the better returning offensive line. I'll give them the edge uh, on defense and the defensive front, considering how those defenses played each other in last year's game. Um, I think uh, Michigan has the best tailback tandem in the country. I think they have a top three tight end room in the country. Any tight end room with Brock Bowers is going to be the best. But I do think uh, I do think you know Barner and Loveland are going to be every bit what they were uh, they were last year with uh, Luke Schoonmaker. So I'm I I don't see what's not to like. I don't think the Horbaugh suspension that's expected but not done yet for four games is really going to impact them because Harbaugh can coach practice. It's not like he has to go to the UP for a month in September and sort of, he's an experienced guy. I I think what has impressed me the most about Michigan is the symbiosis Reese between offense, defense, and special teams. Like those three units have all fed off each other, complemented each other, and he has built an NFL-style program there. Um, He has built a reincarnation of Stanford uh, during the time, the foundation that was built there very successfully. Um, He took the strength coach from Wisconsin and combined those two and, uh, you know, has built the Big Ten's best mousetrap. And until Ohio State can trump that, I I think Michigan has to be considered the favorite. Um, I'm talking to NFL scouts, one last point, because I don't want to ramble too much here. They feel like Ohio State has more high-end talent, but probably Michigan has maybe more total guys who could get drafted. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Like, um, but yeah, I, in the end, last point, McCarthy, I said on the podcast like two months ago, I think he could be QB three when we had that conversation mm-hmm. and nothing is flinched. Jim Harbaugh thinks he's a combination of Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. No pressure. <laughs> I will, I, I won't really differ with you on the one point about the Harbaugh suspension, not having an impact. I actually think not that he wants to be suspended, but if it comes to fruition, that is precisely the type of thing that Jim can use as as a rallying cry. Now, Michigan's been uh, been pretty locked in in terms of pursuing a mission of getting past Ohio State, of winning the Big Ten, getting to the playoff. They've done a really good job of that the last two years. But he can he can seize on a cause and make it work for a, for a group of players. We saw that time and time again against Stanford, whether or with Stanford when it was against USC, and you know being overlooked there. Um, you know, he's certainly done it with the Ohio State thing. And I think if he uh, frames this, which he almost certainly will, as they're out to get us, there wasn't anything to this. You know, I, I stood up and stood for uh, truth, justice and righteousness, you know, I'm saying from his standpoint, that'll work for him. That that's right. That's right in the that's right in the Harbaugh personality and playbook. And I think in some ways that they already play with an edge, and that might that might just keep it really really sharp for when he returns. Now now he's back. You wanted him gone. Now we're really going to prove a point. That said, I do we do want to touch on weaknesses here and there too. Mm-hmm. And I think you uh, alluded to one with the high end talent. They do have high end talent. The backfield they got high end, high end talent at tight end, and I think um, you know, all due respect to a lot of uh, a lot of these other guys at like Kool Aid McKinstry at Alabama and some other guys. I think Michigan has the best cornerback in the country, and uh, and sophomore uh, Will Johnson. So at three picks as a freshman last year, five star guy, and I think he's going to have a sensational year. So they've got high end talent at places. And Saints Trail is going to get drafted, yeah. Too, so, but wide receivers. Big plays down the field. I would say good, not elite. Certainly not of the caliber of Ohio State. 
but really good. If well, you no. if you want to, yeah, if you want to say weakness or maybe if weakness is too strong a word, you want to say some place where maybe they don't measure up with uh, with some other power teams. That would be it. Having to be. Um, if you don't get the home runs from Donovan Edwards or Blake Corum out of the backfield, then maybe you have to be precise, a little more precise, work the ball down the field, takes longer. It, you're not going to get as many, at least from your wide receivers, 75 yard, boom, gone, touchdown. You know, I, that, that mm-hmm. might be one, that might be one thing we saw. You know what we saw? I mean, they made some big plays against TCU, certainly, and made some with wide receivers. But you saw some of that with Quentin Johnston. They had TCU on the ropes. Quentin Johnston makes the big play. Now you've got to answer that. And you're not quite as well equipped to do that sometimes. Yes. So I think the biggest obstacle facing Michigan this year, Reese, is Michigan. How do they handle the expectations? It's very different trying to scale the mountaintop. And again, last year they had, you know, they had won the league two years ago, but last year they were still underdogs, mm-hmm. pretty significant underdogs. Um, I think they realize the tenor of the conversation has changed. And I do feel like that's a, uh, you know, that, that mentality, how do you handle expectations? How do you handle success has befelled many, you know, uh, burgeoning juggernauts who want to win multiple conference championships years and years in a row. So I think that, and then look, there's no reason to be skeptical of the offensive line because of the results that have been put in by uh, Sharon Moore as they've shuffled it and won the Joe Moore award uh, consecutive years, but there are some new pieces. So I'm be curious. Now they've got four games to really smooth that out, right? (laughs) You got Drake Nugent coming in from Stanford at center. Uh, Ladarius Henderson coming in from, uh, from Arizona State. So, like, there, you know, you do have, you know, maybe the best guard combination in the country, Trevor Keegan and Zach Zinter. So I think they're going to be fine there. I wouldn't spend a lot of oxygen worrying about it, but it, there is a transition. It's not plug and play. These guys played a hundred games together. So, um, it, it will be curious with some, you know, with some unknown at the tackle positions, how they handle that. And, you know, and they have, you, you wonder where the pass rush is going to come from. They have a, a transfer mm-hmm. from Coastal Carolina, Josiah Stewart, who had you know, 12 and a half sacks uh, in 21, two years ago, I think. So there is some, some potential there for sure. So the over-under set for uh, Michigan, which, by the way, in SP+, Plus, our buddy Bill Connolly has Ohio State a spot above Michigan in, in his mm-hmm. rankings. Ohio State's two, Michigan is three. Um, so over under for wins for the Wolverines is set at 10 and a half. I think it's pretty obvious from the things that I have said that I'm going over. I, in fact, I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm going over. Could they stumble once? Yeah. But even if this were 11 and a half, I'd go over simply because some of the things you, well, some of the things you mentioned, they've, uh, you know, do have Ohio State at home, and it's a really tricky um, and challenging trip in November to Penn State. That would be the one. Other than that, I you know I don't know where where they're going to lose. They don't have anyone to challenge them in the non conference. Um, you know, the road trips are Nebraska, Minnesota, which you know is hard nosed team, but probably not the firepower to beat them. Um, you know, Michigan State. You don't know what you're getting there. Maryland is. 
you know, they do have that, that Maryland game right before Ohio State, which for Ohio State a couple of times when they've played Maryland in that spot mm-hmm. the week before the game has been, you know, it's it's been a little trickier some years than you might expect for Ohio State. And now the way the schedule has changed, it's Michigan that's playing the Terrapins the week before. But I, I'm still, I'm going to go over 10 and a half. What about you? Yeah, I don't think that's much of a conversation. I obviously don't bet. You and I don't bet because that's not things that we, uh, that, that's not doctor recommended for our journalism profession. But um, I would, uh, yeah, I, that that I'm surprised it's that low, just considering that how distinctly favored they'll be mm-hmm. in uh, in those games. So, and public service announcement here: I should save this when we talk about Iowa. Um, while gambling is wrong and certainly is a terrible look for a player to do, I do think a very strong case can be made uh, that an Iowa player gambling on the under in the Cyhawk game against Iowa State <laughs> is merely sound investing more so than gambling. I mean, he probably got that advice from one of his economics professors. Probably, right? so. like I just financial. <laughs> if he had bet the over, <laughs> if he had bet the over, then he might want to like get him checked out. Yeah. but I, uh, I, I found the, nothing. I found nothing illicit about that. Uh, betting like, the over, it's like Apple stock, it's just going to hit eventually, right? Like you just got to be a little bit patient. Yeah, uh, betting the <laughs> over in that game, that would be like going venture capital or sinking everything into suit and. To some new cryptocurrency, this is yes. more. This is more like you know a bond or a savings account. You know the the return <laughs> may not be great, but you know you know you're getting a little something back anyway. So punt to win, baby, punt to win. <laughs> but if uh, if Michigan is to be knocked off, Ohio State would be the team to do it. One would think, perhaps Penn State. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate. Let's talk about the Buckeyes a little bit. Buckeyes having a big transition at quarterback. They've got they've got the best player in the country at any position. I think Marvin Harrison Jr. as we go in uh, with he or Caleb Williams, uh, just overall yeah. best player at, at any position. One of those two. So they've got that. Uh, hopefully, a tr- healthy Travion Henderson. They've got other guys uh, at wide receiver. You know, Abuka Fleming. They've got freshmen coming in that are dynamic on the outside. Um, they they've got a couple of transfers that they're going to plug in in the secondary. Uh, Tui Molowau sort of had the breakout year last year on defense to give them uh, disruptive force on that side. 
but we don't know that the quarterback's proven just yet. Kyle mm-hmm. McCord or Devin Brown, who I think I like the fact, I, I'm going to have to see it on the field, but I think I like the fact that he's wearing number 33 at quarterback. Uh, sometimes I sometimes I, I like the number to fit, but he's sort of doing it, you know, in the heritage he wore it growing up. It, there was a nod to Sammy Baugh in there someplace. Uh, I have to see how it looks, to be honest. Uh, he wear any number. So he I wants saw it in practice to cut you off. Look weird. Uh, I saw it in practice. I liked it. Did you? I liked okay. it. I mostly liked that Ryan Day said in an interview uh, locally that it reminded him of Larry Bird because he grew up in New Hampshire and that made him happy and that made my Boston soul happy. So, but I, it's just kind of different, you know. It's just it's a little jarring. You're like, whoa, 33 is taking a snap. Um, talented kid, nice guy. I, I'm in. I'm in on it. Let's be a little different. Yeah. Okay. But Kyle McCord, uh, if he can. You know, the thing, the thing that you'll hear about him is that he will make plays in practice and you go, okay, he, there's a dude. What happens when the play doesn't happen? When maybe he doesn't make the exact right decision, the exact right throw? Can he, can he go on through that, maintain composure, um, you know, continue, you know, not go into a shell, all of those things? They have some warm up opportunities before they go to Notre Dame and then they have an open date. So their September should be relatively challenge free, I would think, in, in terms of uh, what they have saved that trip to uh, Notre Dame on the 23rd. Yes, I, I do think they get some time to really to really get that. The genuine feel I get out of Columbus is that it is a battle. A lot of these battles aren't really battles just because I don't want guys to go to the portal. I do think that there is uh, there there is a sense. I, I feel like my read on that situation is that Devin Brown probably is a pinch more arm talent and a pinch more upside. Definitely has a little more juice, like athleticism wise. And Kyle McCord is the guy who can move the chains, not make mistakes, and is more accurate. So there's a little bit of the, the that talk. Now, Comacore is very talented. Don't get me wrong. But he's not super mobile. Um, he's mobile and athletic, but he's not like designed run type guy. Um, occasional maybe just to keep everybody honest. So where Devin Brown maybe brings a little bit, a little bit more of that. So my hunch, because he's been there longer, is that maybe, you know, it's McCord to start. And then, you know, can he exploit all the weapons make right decisions, be efficient, not make mistakes, and keep the Buckeyes moving. If he can do that, I feel like he will seize that job. But I, I don't close the door on Devin Brown, who's, who's a talented kid and has, has really popped at times. Kyle McCord, high school teammates with Marvin Harrison Jr. And mm-hmm. so a little old school, the chemistry's been going on there for a while. They actually connected on a couple of completions, I think, earlier in the career. Now, Ohio State's defense was improved last year, but I think the two lasting memories of that defense, uh, you know, and they were like over better than their Big Ten opponents by about 150 plus yards per game, which is a pretty good measure of how well you're dominating the game. And the defense played a great role in that for most of the season, but the big plays that they surrendered to Michigan and giving up the lead in the playoff game to Georgia, not being able to to finish the deal in those two games and explosive plays being the culprit in both of them, that would be the area that needs to be improved going into this season against elite competition. 
Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. I think back to Ohio State's season, what swung it defensively. I think about the third and medium against Michigan where all the DB has to do, and it might have been a safety, is wrap up the wrap up, I think it was Donovan Edwards mm-hmm. on the sideline and throw him out of bounds. And then they punt and Ohio State has a ton of momentum early in that game. If you remember, mm-hmm. they moved the ball at will. Um and then the tackle is missed badly. The player runs, you know, streaks down the sideline for like a high school touchdown. Like you don't, you see touchdowns like that in high school. Like that just didn't, didn't happen. Uh, I think they blitzed on the play, if I remember right. And then there was the DB who tripped over his own shoelaces in in the Georgia game mm-hmm. in the fourth quarter, and there was just that gash streak play for a touchdown uh, that sort of opened the door back for the uh, for for the Bulldogs. Um, that was before I think the big Bennett to Bowers play. That was the drive the drive before. Am I am I right there? Yes. Reese? Yeah, I think so. It's me- it's yeah. Memory but like yeah. it's just those are two off the top of my head, like just glaring things that can't happen in your secondary. Um, so you can call them a little bit freak, but those those are, to me, the two plays that swung those two games from a defensive standpoint. Now, there were some, like, was it Colson Loveland going down the middle in that Michigan game? Like, there yeah. were some busts, mm-hmm. like big busts. So I'm not just saying, I'm not making excuses for them, but the ability to tighten that thing up, I don't think is that far away, is, is, my, is my point there. Um, they feel like they're pretty talented right now. Um, Back there, uh, there was a lot of good buzz uh, when I was there in the spring about Denzel Burke, who had really flashed as a freshman, maybe plateaued a little bit last year. They feel like third-year player, sees the NFL, has really sort of walked a straight line and and, and, and could really flash this year. Lathan Ransom's a guy, the uh, the senior safety, who who is on all the NFL lists, measurables, uh, etc. And then... Is it Jordan Hancock at the other corner? Um, is it Jair Brown? Is it uh, is it Davidson? Mm, you're the pronunciation I think, expert. I, I think Igbenosun, I believe, is correct. Igbenosun, yeah. thank you. But I'm, I'm not. If if I if I shortened or made long a vowel that was wrong, there he's the Ole Miss transfer. He played really well for them yes. this spring. Yeah. Yes. So there's there's some options there. Jihad Carter, uh, the Syracuse transfer. Josh Proctor still banging around with some great traits back there in the secondary. So there is, they do have depth, mm-hmm. like significant depth back there. Um, and they've, they've addressed that. Uh, and then it comes to your belief in system, right? Like another year in Jim Knowles system and everybody knowing that system, how much does that help them? So, um, yeah, there's, there is a case for that defense really stepping forward this year, but. I'm going to, uh, you know, I, I think they've earned some skepticism there too in big games. I think generally that defense was sound until it wasn't mm-hmm. in the biggest moments. So uh, not giving them a pass. Like they need to, they need to be sound when the stakes are highest. They were sound ninety percent of the time, but when it mattered, they failed. So look at their schedule, and I mentioned the Notre Dame game in September. They've got Penn State uh, in the horseshoe. Go to Wisconsin the next week. That's a little... Uh, Could I just drop a... Like, that would be fun for game day mention there. Halloween, Wisconsin. Uh, if the, if the, if if Bucky is uh, undefeated or, or rolling at that uh, point. Bucky's that gonna, could be fun, couldn't it? it? It would be very fun. Madison on Halloween always sounds like a win. Then they, um, and then they have... It's a home game. You know, we mentioned the week before the Ohio State-Michigan game for the Wolverines that they have to go to Maryland. But Ohio State is Minnesota coming in, which another you know, mm-hmm. capable team, but at least they get that one at home. And 
Minnesota's played them tough. They have, yeah. Remember that Thursday opener? I mean, Minnesota's in control of that game in the first half. Yeah, and uh, Mo Ibrahim was running wild and then had the Achilles injury in, in that game. That was that was the first sign that the Ohio State defense of a couple years ago was, you know, was had some issues and because unsound, unsound, and in the rush defense for sure. So the over under for Ohio State is 10 and a half wins. Also, according to our good friends, Taylor and Sarah, in our uh, list of over-unders, I'll give you first crack at it. Buckeyes over, under 10 and a half. I'm going to go with the over. There's a chance to lose. It's just hard to see Ryan Day, who's lost three regular season games in his career, losing two. I'm going over Easily. Next to betting the under on the Cyhawk game, this is a solid bet. Because really the only the only opportunity I see for Ohio State to be beaten, which is can I go on an aside? I know I do this a lot. I'm gonna go on a little aside here. Anybody can lose. Anybody can step on a rake and hit themselves in the face. You can go and fall in an empty elevator shaft. You can have a lightning strike. You can have a ball bounce off a tuba. You know, you can lose by playing poorly. So that's just shorthand when you say the only chance I see for them to lose. Precisely what I'm saying is the only chance on their schedule I see for them to be beaten is at Michigan. Line up, play a good game play well, other team plays well, you come up short. Otherwise, Ohio State is going to have to help any team who wins the game against them. Caveat being, if the quarterback plays bad, then everything else is off the table. But with Ryan Day there, uh, with Brian Hartline taking over, Justin Fry up front, a lot of really good offensive guys, talented two dudes at quarterback I don't think they'll play poorly at quarterback so I'm taking the overall so with the only chance for them to be beaten is Michigan and perhaps depending on how everything else plays out um, the loser of that game would not necessarily be eliminated from playoff consideration I think Ohio State would be in a better spot as a non-Big Ten champion than Michigan might be simply because at least Ohio State's going to have the Notre Dame game on on the other side. At least uh, Ohio State's going to have the trip to Wisconsin, which Michigan does not have, assuming that Wisconsin is is good. And, you know, these things change. Teams are better or worse than you expect. And in the preseason, you look at the schedule. But I'm taking the over, and I think that's easy too. I think both Michigan and Ohio State, easy overs at 10.5. Unless, of course, Penn State upsets the B1G East apple card. I know you're really high on Drew Aller. He's got the best left tackle in the country, perhaps. Penn State uh, sort of quietly sitting over there thinking that maybe this is the year for the breakthrough. Coming out on top of uh, Michigan and Ohio State in the division. Uh, running behind Olu Fashanu with uh, Nicholas Singleton and Katron Allen. Drew Aller, whose, whose calves are as large as the state of Pennsylvania. They're, they're, they're big, giant, sturdy calves. He's a big man in there. Chop Robinson on defense. Really good cornerback in Kalen King. Um, Rose Bowl champions last year. What do you think about their chances to upset this pecking order that's been established for a number of years in uh, 
Big Ten East. First point I need to make is we're not going to pick the over for everybody. We can't be the Pollyanna podcast. So I feel like if we picked the over on Michigan and Ohio State, which we did, and I don't know what the number is yet. It's going to be nine hard and to a pick half. Penn State. Nine and a half. Mm, not, okay. Let's see. Right. So, so don't, yeah. don't promise things right. you're not willing right. to back up. I just, I just <laughs> want to promise the listeners this isn't going to be that everybody goes undefeated. Dick Vitale get 6,600 teams in the tournament podcast. Pete, oh, okay? oh, 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 why are you taking a shot at me, Pete? Huh? Oh, why? Why? <laughs> That's all. So that said, I've been big on the Penn State bandwagon. I've said it uh, in a lot of different places. I'm a believer in Olu Fashanu. I really like the defense and and where it is. Uh, Adisa Isaac, Chopper, like they're they are they are every bit of what they should be. The O line to me has been the position group there that's probably lagged the most. Um, and I feel like the O line and D line have depth and they have high high end talent. So I'm uh, I am all aboard bandwagon Nittany and. I do think Michigan going there and them going to Ohio State, they can win one of those games and and perhaps puncture their way into that Big Ten title game. Now, I know we didn't pick it that way, but I just think that is that is very much on the table. This is the livest Penn State team in Franklin's tenure. The problem is Ohio State and Michigan may be some of the best versions of themselves that Franklin's lined up against. So fascinating high-end stuff in the, in the Big Ten. I, I love it, just the, from a pure competition standpoint, where that is. You know, last couple of years, and really even there was, a, there was a little blip in there where Penn State beat Michigan a couple of times, but Michigan has handed it, handed it to Penn State a few times over the last five, six years, right? So I think it... I think it kind of sets up well for Penn State having that home away the way it is. The one they've they've for whatever reason, even the great Ohio State teams, they've played their butts off against Ohio State. They've pushed them. You know, Ohio State's mm-hmm. come out on no top. Doubt. But, you know, Michigan has been the one that has occasionally, for whatever, you know, caught them with a couple of haymakers and knocked them out. Um having Michigan in Happy Valley late in the season and having to go to Ohio state, if you're going to split those games, that probably gives you the best chance to do it. Um, I really like this team too, Pete. I, I am high on them. I'm going to play the odds a little bit here. And because if I'm going all in on Michigan, which I clearly have reserving the right after I see them, if they don't play as well, I'll, you know, I'll step back from it. Belief in Ohio state's talent I'm going to go with the oddities of college football. Penn State should go at worst 10 and 2. Should. At worst. Maybe 11 and 1. But I think Ohio State and Michigan are just a tick better. So I'm going to say those are two. And I'm going to say somewhere along the way, something, you know, something befalls them and they go 9 and 3, which would mean I take the under. All right. A, a, a fair analysis. And fitting there, I thought the overrunner would be a little higher. So just for the record to be straight on Michigan-Penn State, uh, they have split their last six meetings. Now, Michigan- Yes, but hammered- 42-7, yes. 41-17. Even, even the year Penn State wanted to get into the playoff was 49-10. That, I long contended. It wasn't two losses mm-hmm. that kept Penn State Big Ten champion out of the playoff. It wasn't two losses. Yes. It was the fact they lost 49-10. to 
you know, to yes. somebody. But anyway, yes. go ahead. I'm sorry and to interrupt. Penn State please. beat them in Ann Arbor. No, I was just kind of like laying the stakes there because it's an interesting history. The COVID year, Penn State went and won in Ann Arbor by 10. Mm-hmm. Um, Penn State did hammer them once in State College in 17. That was amid the, the throes of the uh, of the Harbaugh struggles before the, mm-hmm. before the turnaround uh, came there. But they have won uh, two of the last three in State College. So in the last in Michigan, won last time twenty one seventeen. So obviously that game is uh, is going to be a slobber knocker um, in in a lot of in a lot of ways. Oh wait, oh they're at, yeah they're at Michigan this year. Sorry about that. I, I messed that up. No no no. Michigan's uh, home. The Michigan game for Penn State oh, is, it is yeah in that's State right. College. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. looking at last year's schedule in my magazine yeah. down here um, where they mm-hmm. where there's a result. So I should have realized that. So um, yeah, like I. That said, I, I think I'll give them the benefit of the doubt of getting to 10 with this team in, in, in the regular season. And sort of a, this means a, a general discounting of, you know, at Illinois they could lose, right? Um, yeah, that's pretty much the only other one they can lose. So Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so I think that they have three viable, losable games, and I think they win one of the three. Okay. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go over, but I promise I'm gonna like hit the under on everybody else, even if I don't okay. believe it. <laughs> well, <laughs> apparently you're gonna have to. I think. Although the for I the know. rest of for the rest of the division, and we'll rip through these. The numbers are pretty low uh, mm-hmm. in terms of the win okay. total. Maryland brings back Talia Tungavailoa. Um, you know they bring back you know just a handful of starters. They lost some of their playmakers in terms of receivers. A lot of injuries the last few years for Maryland. Maryland's sitting there at over under seven wins. Uh, they've got a pretty a pretty good runway into the season as well, playing uh, Towson and playing our good friend uh, Biff Pogey in Charlotte um, the second week. They've got Virginia on a Friday night. They go to Michigan State. Don't know what you're getting there. And then they get Indiana, who, as you're going to find out momentarily, I, I suspect is going to be dreadful. Um so a pretty good runway before they go into October at Ohio State. What do you think about about the Terrapins? Another year of Tungavailoa, who uh, says he turned down a million and a half bucks of NIL promise to go to an unnamed SEC school. I've got a couple of guesses as who that might be, might have been. You think your alma mater was involved in that? Reese? Uh, you know that what? That's a, that's an interesting that's an interesting question because Talia left there. And didn't want to be in Tua's shadow. I'm not sure that he ever really felt like that was the right place for him. Mm-hmm. I might, if I had to ca- place a wager, which we've already talked about quite a bit on this podcast, we don't do. But if forced to place a wager, I would guess right state, wrong school. And perhaps, mm, uh, perhaps one in the Sunshine State. Those we, and I've got no information on that. Just two, just two guesses. If in fact that was the offer, if there was an offer or a pursuit, those would be would be my two guesses. But That's I fair. wouldn't, I wouldn't rule out. I certainly wouldn't rule out, uh, wouldn't rule out Alabama or Georgia for that matter. So I just know. saw Mark May's jersey looming over your shoulder. Um, so I, uh, yeah, I wanted to. I wanted to, uh, I just, it, it just popped in my mind. That's all. So there, there it is. There we go. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> um, so my, uh, my hunch on Maryland is going to be under. Uh, part of that schedule based, part of that is 
This is a program that's been hard to find traction in part because they've just had a ton of staff turnover, right? Dan Eno scoots to Arkansas. Josh Gaddis gets get brought back. He and Mike Loxley were frenemies for a while. Remember mm-hmm. when uh, when Josh got the Alabama job and they were sort of lobbing bombs at each other from there. Kevin Sumlin makes his triumphant return. Um, they've had a ton of losses and gains from the portal. Probably that's a level like too difficult for me to quantify. But the the only certainty there is that there has been churn, uh, and because of that churn. I am going to uh, I'm going to just err on the side of some skepticism here on the Terps. So I'm going to take the under. Wait and see. A hot start is secured. Conference play, not so sure. Okay, I'm going to, at seven, I'm just counting up on the schedule here. I'm, I'm going to say they're the surprise, unproven team of September. Be 5-0. and oh. um, But then go to Ohio State. Then I've got them lose-lose, Ohio State and even Illinois coming in. That'll kind of be a push if they were to were to stumble one game, maybe stumble at Michigan State. I'll hedge that bet with Illinois, making them 5-2 and two going into their um, open week. She'll beat Northwestern. Penn State lost at 6-3 and three. at Nebraska-Michigan. Uh, I mean, it's certainly lost home to Michigan. That's four losses at Nebraska, at Rutgers. I, I think they're going to be seven and five, to be honest. But I, I can't go push. That's uh, weaseling out. My guess is they're going to go seven and five. So I'm going to go ahead and take the over there and say they get to eight. Oh, look at uh, you, I'll, Reese. I'll say All they right. get to eight with losses to, Ohio, to losses to the expected suspect: uh, Ohio mm-hmm. State, Michigan, Penn State, LLL, and the other loss will come. You know, either Illinois or Michigan State. Um, you know, that at Nebraska one will be the one that determines whether they get to eight or get stuck on seven, I think. So, yeah. And Nebraska is interesting, right? There's a lot of unknown there. Yeah. A ton. Uh, hard. How about, how about Michigan state? You lose Peyton Thorne, uh, who transferred to Auburn. So you don't have, um, you don't have any real experience at quarterback. I know a Kim has thrown fewer than 20 passes. You have Jalen Berger. Um, you're back in the, back in the transfer window again, or transfer portal again. Um, you know, they last year against big 10 competition, they were at minus 109 yards per game. Um, they do have six starters coming back on offense. I, um, I tell you, Pete, I don't. I don't feel great about the Spartans, to be honest. The number is really low that Taylor and Sarah have provided for us here at four and a half. But they have, they have a non-conference game with Washington, which looks like a big L. They travel to Iowa. Um, obviously, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State. There's there's five losses. Uh, a couple other road games. I mean, that they set these numbers. For a reason, you know, because it's sort of right mm-hmm. on it. Um, I hate to take another another over, but I'm going to take over on Michigan State. But I still don't think they get bowl eligible. I'm going to take Michigan State getting to five wins, which would be uh, over by half. I think they beat Central Michigan, beat Richmond, um, and maybe get three more out of uh, 
out of Rutgers, Indiana, uh, Rutgers, Indiana, Nebraska. Good night. I mean, you know what? I'm going under. I look at it again. I'm going to go under. I say they go to four instead of five, and I'll say they're four and eight, and so I'll take the under. All right. Um, I uh, looking here. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the under as well. Uh, Michigan State hit jackpot on the transfer portal two years ago and busted on it last year, and just the the underwhelming nature of their quarterback room right now to to me is the is the biggest red flag. Also, um, after just being so bad on both sides of the ball last year, mm-hmm. I was pretty surprised that we didn't have any changes on uh, you know coordinating wise, right? Like no no significant schematic changes. So. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't seem to me like there's a case for improvement here. Now, there's obviously some some good players, uh, you know, that they brought in from the portal, and they've had the ability to track some of those. But I'm in it's prove it mode for me now. It'll be interesting to see if they give any resistance to Washington there in that third game, um, and if they don't, it all of a sudden could end up, uh, you know, in a in a pretty in a pretty significant spiral because things get hard quick for them. So. They, I think Mel Tucker has earned our skepticism uh, after mm-hmm. last season, and he could certainly win it back, and, and there's a case to win it back. And maybe Jalen Berger becomes the bell cow, and they develop an identity around him and roll. But I am, uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm just going to wait and see on that. So Indiana coming off a disastrous four and eight, uh, two and seven in conference play season. Became the first Division One team ever to lose 700 games all time. Didn't lose all of them last year. Just seemed that way at times. Uh, huge. I mean, a lot of a lot of programs had huge turnover. They had huge turnover. They lost 30 guys. Brought 25 more in uh, from the portal. Um, they did have a good recruiting class a couple years ago, but they've got. No experience at quarterback. It looks as if it'll probably be uh, probably be. Taven Jackson, uh, the transfer from Tennessee, threw four passes as a true freshman. Um, you know they they do have some starters back on off on the offensive front. They do have some transfers on the defensive front. But man, they you know they open with Ohio State. And they go to uh, Indianapolis to play Louisville early. They're at Michigan. They're at Penn State. They're at Illinois. Um, you know, bucket game at the end. They've got to go on the road. Um, have Wisconsin uh, from the other division. Over under for Indiana is is four, and you know I I think man I tell you four sounds about right, but I think I'm going to take the under there too. Well, I'm going to live up to my promise and uh, and and stick with the uh, stick with my my pessimism for, uh, for 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 Indiana here. I just. If there's a case for five six wins, I, it it does not jump out at me, you know, studying them, looking at their roster, um, and, and and seeing that. I, I do think that they've really tried last year to maybe make tempo a thing for them, and that didn't work. I'll be it'll be interesting with Taven Jackson there if they go away from that a little bit. Um, they did bring in Matt Gieri, uh from Ohio State, actually, who'd be a mm-hmm. new play caller for them on defense. Uh, there are there are changes. Anthony Tucker comes over from Utah State to help out Walt Bell. Bell's still going to call the plays, but there's just so much unknown that uh, it's it, I'm going to. Uh, it's hard for me to get any uh, momentum behind behind the Hoosiers. Man, Pete, 
you can't always look at last year, but scoring passing total offense last year in the country, 131 teams, 131 teams ranked last year. They were either 118th or 119th in all of them. In all of the major offensive and defensive categories, you might find some specialty category here, here or there where that's this is not true. But in the major categories, both sides of the ball, none of their stats ranked higher than 86th in the country. And now you bring in all this change and inexperienced quarterback. And man, things have gotten... Uh, from all of that feel-good uh, stuff, which was real, and I think Tom Allen is a sincere guy, but you know, going from that um, COVID year of six and two, when you know they were challenging Ohio State with Michael Penix to you know winning six games the last two years is uh, you know is rather daunting. They're they're in a tough spot, so I'm going to go under with Indiana as well. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One. Last team in B1G East, Rutgers. Shiano back for his fourth year. Uh, brought over the uh, recently well-traveled Kirk Sharaka, who was at Penn State for a minute and a half, had been at Minnesota a couple times as their offensive coordinator. Um, six offensive starters back, about eight on defense, depending how you count those guys. Um, you know they've got a you know they've got a quarterback who played some last year in Gavin Wimsatt, um, but you know again. Their their last you look at their you know their last five games of the season they got shut out a couple of times barely averaged over two hundred yards, um, I you know the win total for them is set at four and with just a cursory glance at the schedule I'm I mean they should be able to they'll beat Wagner and they should be able to beat Temple and they ought to beat Northwestern so that or they have a chance to beat Northwestern I should say that puts them at three and. Can you find another one somewhere in conference play? Maybe it's Indiana, um, you know, because somebody's got to win that game and it'll probably get the winner to that uh, magic total of four if you are playing the game of chance. I'm going to go. I'm going to go under on Rutgers as well and think that you have a real uh, basement feel in the at the bottom of the Big Ten East. All right, I'll uh, I'll go I'll go counter to you because it's more fun when we disagree. I'm going to take the over yeah. on uh, the over on Rutgers. I feel like the presence of Kirk Soraka, who Greg Schiano once fired in his first tenure there, um, <laughs> bringing back Kirk gives them baseline functionality, which they just didn't have last year on offense. Now, whether Gavin Wimsett becomes a guy who really develops, we we need to see that pretty quick because it was pretty clear last year that he didn't. Uh, I love Samuel Brown, their tailback, and. The best player on their roster is Aaron Lewis, the defensive end. Uh, I think he's a, he's a draft pick. He's a bell cow. He was at Big Ten Media Days. He's definitely going to work in our business when his NFL career is done. Uh, he was an outlandish personality in a very uh, in a very good good natured way. Um, but I really feel like their defense was pretty strong last year, mm-hmm. uh, relative relatively speaking. You obviously have to throw away some of the when when talking about 
bottom Big Ten teams. You have to you have to throw away some of the the, the Penn State Michigan type results. Um, but I feel like they had winnable games, uh, especially Nebraska, where if they just didn't mess it up, they could have mm-hmm. uh, they could have ended up winning the game. And so I feel like. Virginia Tech, to me, is a winnable game for them. I don't think that's crazy. Like, I just don't think what anything Virginia Tech has done in the last year makes you think they can roll in and win there. And that's not a knock on Virginia Tech. They've just, they're rebuilding and they've earned it. Um, Yeah, but I I think there's a, there's a possible, there's a better possibility they start 3 0 than 0 3. I would say that. So I'm probably a little more bullish on the Scarlet Knights because when Samuel Brown was healthy last year, their offense was, was fairly functional. So I, the case there is the case that the new offense gets them gets them back to functional. I, I think the, the the defense with Joe Harrisimiak and Greg Schiano um, sort of b- behind it. I feel uh, I feel I feel pretty good about it. So um, yeah, uh, you know they just got got a lot of guys who played a lot of snaps. Deion Jennings played a lot of snaps there. Uh, Terry Powell's played a lot of snaps there. So um, I don't think it's hard to get to, to get to five. I could see them, Pete. You, you could be gloating on post-Wagner Seahawk victory when your Scarlet Knights are 4-1 and one with only loss to Michigan. And, well, see, then that Indiana game is going to, that's going to be pivotal for both of them. That's, that's where it is because beyond that, it's hard to find another win for them. You know, depending yeah. on how Maryland is yeah. at the end of the they season. They had been sort of competitive with Maryland at moments during Shano's yeah. time there. They were not competitive with Maryland last year. That was, no. you know, that was concerning. And that was what, you know, what, you know, what led to some changes. So, yeah. With, um, against yeah. FBS opponents last year, I put this note in, in my chart. They, they scored more than 20 points three times. Three. And never more than 24. I mean... I mean, but your point is well taken about Sharaka, uh, and that's and our egg timer sound is going to go off on on Rutgers now. Let's let's move to the Big Ten West, which has been uh, the the blood and guts side, old school football, low scoring defense, running game, and now Luke Fickle comes over to Wisconsin. He takes over. He brings in uh, Phil Longo, uh, previously with North Carolina, and before that with Ole Miss, who you know has has his version of up-tempo spread, but will be eager to point out to you, I think it's something like three of the last six years, he's had a 1,000-yard rusher. Um, so they, they won't abandon the running game. Uh, they bring in uh, three talented transfer quarterbacks, a couple young ones, one old one in Tanner Mordecai, got uh, Braylon Allen back. Uh, they got, you know, they they brought in some uh, some transfers with wide receivers. Guy from Oklahoma State, Bryson Green, brought in C.J. Williams from USC. Imagine that a wide receiver from USC transferring to Wisconsin. Uh, brought in a wide receiver uh, Will Pauling from Cincinnati. So all of a sudden they're bringing in receivers. They're committed to throwing the football uh, differently I mean, because it's not like they never threw. I mean they've had guys play in the NFL, not just Russell Wilson, but guys you know whether. Uh, you know, Tolzine or any Brooks any number. Bollinger. Of, uh, yeah, Brooks Bollinger was there. Was in the NFL. It's not as if they haven't been able to throw the football when they've been good. Throwing in a different way, a little more wide open offense. Um, you know, got close to a hundred career starts on the offensive line. But I, I don't know how quickly it gels. Almost always, you have some type of 
adjustment period, some type of crisis during the season, most times, and you see how it's going to go from there. What do you got with their over-under win total at eight and eight and a half? I'll let you go first. Interesting number, um, especially with some you know games on the schedule, uh, at least one where you're like, they're probably not going to win that game, with, a, with a, that being Ohio State. Uh, mm-hmm. I will say this, uh, spent some time with Luke Fickle at, at Big Ten Media Days uh, last week, and there isn't a lot of like, uh, you know, Luke Fickle isn't trying to trick anybody, right? That's just not the way he is as a person or as a coach, right? Like he's pretty straightforward and he was generally pretty optimistic about the talent there. And, and at this point in his head coaching career, you know, I've learned to trust Luke Fickle's instincts because he's going to he's going to shoot straight. Now, there are some variables and some questions. There's there's no doubt about that. Just how will the offense adjust? You obviously have, uh, like you said, three new quarterbacks, not just one. Early buzz from my people up in Madison is that Tanner Mordecai is pretty good. And um, they feel comfortable they're going to move the ball. Um, certainly that at Washington State game is not a gimme, right? Like that, I am, you know, I no trip to the Palouse uh, is uneventful. So I, I'm not going to, I'm not just going to check that one off. Um, but that said, they have an opportunity to get a little momentum going. Um, Wisconsin, Iowa with Wisconsin running spread is going to be a little jarring to the eyes, right? Like it's just yeah. different. We've been used to that game being a slog. And uh, now it may be that. I, I think the the thing that I'm looking forward to seeing, Reese, is how Luke Fickle can maybe round out Phil Longo a little bit as a play caller. Whereas mm-hmm. there there will be less let's run four verts on third and seven from the from the red zone type stuff. Like there's there, there you know play calling play calling isn't done in a silo. It's done with guidance from the coach on both sides of the ball. So I do think that. Some of the air raids, uh, stubborn instincts can get rounded and molded through a uh, through through a strong head coach looking maybe more to play some complimentary football than they played at North Carolina. So I think that's one interesting fundamental tension there. Braylon Allen's still a beast, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it's hard to say he'll be the best quarter uh, best running back in the Big Ten because there's some you know there's some high end competition there, but he is certainly among the best and. In an offense that's spread out where you can run gash plays, he could certainly put up uh, cartoon numbers. Uh, I'm a little worried, pass rush-wise, that they aren't where some of their Big Ten peers are, and that could haunt them against teams that can really uh, that can really throw it if they can't get to the quarterback. But that said, uh, if Luke Fickle's comfortable in the talent, I'm comfortable in the talent, and I'm going to take the over. I think eight is the right number there, which is why Vegas puts it at eight and a half to mess you up, right? Um, The schedule works in their favor. I expect them to hit a little October skid and uh, probably lose at least two of three at uh, Iowa, at Illinois, and certainly they're going to lose to Ohio State. Um, But, you know, if you you win those other two, not – and if you if you win in Washington State, then it's a then it's an easy play. I think eight is the right number, which would suggest going under. But I'm going to take the over also and say they nudge over the top of it by a hair and get to nine. Yeah, that Minnesota game. Like if you are yeah. wagering on this, you're 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 watching that on on BTN at noon that day, right? Like you're 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 locked in. Um, yeah, I do. Th- I don't think they blow out that number by any means. No, it's 
It's why it's why it's hard. It's like the the old thing when you do highlights with it. How did they know? How did they always get so close to the point spread and obviously the totals? Iowa, Iowa, as they were last year, uh, despite that horrific offense, they were only outgained by twenty four yards per game in uh, in conference play last year. They had thirty six plays of twenty yards or longer. Only UMass and New Mexico averaged fewer 20-yard plays per game than Iowa. Um, They had a plus turnover margin of a half dozen and still lost five times and struggled mightily to score. Didn't make any changes in terms of the coordinators. Has been well-documented. Brian Ferentz, Kirk Ferentz's son, will be back. Um, I don't... Look, it all rolls to his doorstep, his responsibility, because he's in charge of the offense. And I don't know that, um, I'll I'll borrow your phrase, best way to say it. He has earned our skepticism in terms of of him being, um, you know, some type of offensive leader. But he had some personnel challenges too, most notably at quarterback. And now they have a quarterback who's a little more in the traditional good Iowa quarterback uh, Mold and Cade McNamara, the Michigan transfer, um, coming off knee surgery. He's tied in for Michigan. Eric All is over. Uh, one of the many uh, pride pride of the men of Avon from Avon Old Farms, Nico Regani, is back. They I knew you were going to sneak that in. Uh, I would have bet the you over knew on I was. that reference. You'd been disappointed yeah. if I didn't. <laughs> uh, five offensive linemen who've started some, although the total career starts is not great. And even though they lost great guys, on defense, you know they're going to be good on defense. They always are, mm-hmm. and they've got maybe the best punter in the country. So the God, has he the, been there like seventeen years? I know. I was. I will confess to being surprised that he was back. I was surprised uh, too. I, yeah, I was when I was going through. I was like, wait, no, he's not gone. He's also seriously. really good. Like he's really good. He's phenomenal. Tory Taylor yeah. averaged over forty-five yards a punt last year for Kirk Ferentz's team, the the dean of college football coaches. Seven and a half is the number. They open with Utah State. They have the Cyhawk game um, in the early part. And in Western Michigan, they historically have found a way to struggle unexpectedly somewhere in the early going. Um, what, do you, what do you think? A quick glance at the schedule. They are at Penn State. Um, there is there is no Ohio State on the schedule. There is no Michigan on the schedule, which certainly works in the Hawkeyes' favor too. But they are at Wisconsin and they're at Nebraska on the final Friday of the regular season. And the number is sitting at seven and a half. Where are you there? I'm going to take the over. Uh, I've got I've I've trended back optimistic a little bit here. Again, it's a little bit uh, the rationale is in sync with what I said about Rutgers. Like I think. Cade McNamara and Eric All. Don't forget what a tight end means to this offense, right, Reese? Um, yeah. And Eric All is a very talented tight end. I hope he's, you know, obviously back healthy again. I think that gets them back to baseline functional. What's up front is really good. Um, I think they're fine at tailback, but I think they can go back to their identity of winning on the ground, winning with special teams, winning with great defense. Um, yeah, like I think. They were so bad on offense that people sort of ignored that they figured it out um, after they had that stretch where they, you know, remember they lost at Illinois 9-6, to six, and then mm-hmm. they laid a big goose egg against the Buckeyes. And obviously their struggles against South Dakota State felt like a loss, even though it was a win. They were bad. I, was, I just think 
Some of that was tied to uh, some injury challenges. And uh, look, they had a bad scheme. Um, but just generally, when you get out of like the silo of, of hyperbole and overreaction, like Iowa's been pretty good. And even Brian Ferentz, although he's been wildly criticized and certainly, you know, deserved the criticism he got last year, like him as the lieutenant in that program has yielded generally good results for that program. Mm-hmm. So I just think. Not being a prisoner of last year's moment, um, I didn't mind him getting another chance, uh, and I just think they needed much better personnel. I do think they need some schematic advances. I can't; they can't sit there and do the same stuff that they've been doing. Um, but I think there's enough bright minds in that building to uh, to figure that out. Number is seven and a half. So you're you're going over, saying they're going to go eight yeah. and four. Um, at let's see, I like this at Penn State, at Wisconsin, that's two. At Iowa State, but even last year, notwithstanding, they've had really good success in that one. Um, you know what? I'm I'm going to go under by a half. I think I think they'll go seven and five. So I'll, okay. I'll take the yeah. I'll take I'll take the under on Iowa. I, I agree with you. I think they're going to be improved on offense. It won't it won't look quite as bad. But they do have some holes to fill on defense, namely Jack Campbell. Uh, you know, uh, oh, yeah. Riley Moss, you know, so they, they'll be, they'll be really good on defense. I mean, they, you know, they always are, um, you know, Cooper DeJean's a really good defensive back who, you know, probably put up numbers this year. I'm still going to go, go under there. Let's go next to uh, Brett Bielema and the fighting Illini really in position to win the big 10 West last year and then really swooned late in the season, losing three straight and losing their opportunity to play in the championship game. They're sitting at, at a six and a half. They've got, they've got quarterback questions too, uh, you know, relying on a transfer, likely either Luke Altmeyer who came over from Ole Miss or John Paddock who came over from Ball State. Uh, they still have Isaiah Williams, speaking of guys who've seemed like they've been there a really long time. But they've got a couple of studs up front on defense. And Jerjon Newton and Keith Randolph, who were both very good for excellent defense last year, they were plus 15 in turnovers. One would expect that that might cycle back a little bit um, year to year. But they led the nation in scoring defense. Um, his first winning season since Ron Zook was the head coach. What do you? Where do you land there with the uncertainty – at at quarterback, uh, Chase Brown is is gone. So too is his brother. Um, so too is Devin Weatherspoon. So so too is Tommy DeVito, who gave him a real steady hand at, at quarterback mm-hmm. last year. Remember the that, upright Tommy DeVito brigade? A yeah, ago yeah. At this time, <laughs> exactly. I was just happy they kept Tommy upright. Syracuse yeah. did not keep Tommy DeVito. Upright. No, they did not. They did. Six and a half is the number. Where are you? Six and a half, huh? That's uh, that's interesting. So, um, in the most like fitting Brett Bielma thing of all time, he brought two defensive tackles to Big Ten Media Day, and I'm not questioning the decision by any means. But if you want to know, your program is built up the middle. Um, <laughs> now they have Keith Randolph listed as an end here, but I, I, I see him more as a tackle. They saw him more as a tackle, and obviously. I was given permission, by the way, to call Jerzon Newton Johnny Newton. That's something that may yeah. help you on game day this year. I asked Patrick Pearson. I said, can I call him Johnny? I don't want to like pretend like he's a friend. He's like, no, I don't think anyone calls him Jerzon. I was like, okay, that's good. Yeah, that's good to know. There, there were a, They had like a law firm nickname for those guys last year, too. I can't uh, right did. now. Yes. Memory is not 
it's not springing to mind. But anyway, I digress. Go ahead. Yeah. So the the thought, and, and Bielma has been really optimistic about uh, about Nicholson, the corner again, not ending up in the same role as Witherspoon, like the fifth pick in the draft, but really developing that shutdown, um, you know, shutdown mentality and keeping that edge at that uh, at that position. Um, you said six and a half, huh? So a, a, a lot went right for them last year, and peaking out a schedule that has Penn State, but no Ohio State or Michigan, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, they open with MAC champion Toledo, could be Jason Candle's best team, and Toledo's going to go fearless and fling it around and play the opposite of the way Illinois wants to play. That at Kansas game is a really good college football mm-hmm. game. I believe yeah. it's on ESPN2 on a Friday night, um, not, being a, not being a partisan homer there. I have a feeling... Uh, you and I, Reese, will be uh, perhaps in a uh, Tusca- Tuscaloosa, Alabama bar room uh, watching that while we go over our notes for game day that uh, that that Friday night. Not saying that we're definitely going there for game day, but that would be that would be the betting favorite um, in, uh, in in week two. Uh, can't can't give away Alabama, secrets, Texas. Pete, but I'd, yeah, I'd bet no the over on that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> yes. There's there's a chance, but that's that's like a great game for college football. That like college football amid all this. That's it's it's. Two regional teams playing on a Friday night whose fans are really like fired up about the game. And, you know, that's one of the biggest home games other than maybe our game day game that Kansas has had in like the last 20 years. And that's awesome. That's cool. That's fun. That's what makes this this. Right. So um, all that said, uh, I'm going to go I'm going to go over. I just I just feel like an FAU is going to be tricky, too, by the way. So that that mm-hmm. September is is filled with fraught. Um, I don't think they get out of that, um, you know, th- they're going to be an underdog against Penn State, but they could beat Penn State. Like that's not completely out of the realm of anything uh, of, of anything crazy. That that that's uh, that that's possible. But I think the the absence of Ohio State and Michigan, combined with the general competency that Bielma has uh, brought there, um, you know, make me think that Barry Lunny can keep a steady hand on that uh, on that offense and. And Luke Altmaier can roll, and they can run the ball, and they can be Wisconsin 2.0 and continue to be. Remember remember opening night um, last year when, when Devin Witherspoon hit Sean Shivers, I'm pretty sure it was, from Indiana? And you want to talk about bursting onto the scene and making sure Ooh. eyeballs stay on you for the rest of the year. You deliver Ooh. a hit completely clean, by the way, too, but just a teeth-rattling message sending hit um will illinois be able to make that type of statement early on maybe not in a and they lost that game yeah they did and which is astonishing with the way the two teams ended up as the as the season went along um if this were seven and a half i'd go under six and a half i'm going to go over because i believe in the man that we affectionately refer to as bert uh brett bielema um so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say seven seven sounds about right for the Fighting Illini and that Kansas game. By the way, they're missing the opportunity if Bill Self doesn't do the coin toss. Yeah, no, that's he's fair. got the honorary captain fair. having having coached both places. Yeah. Ha! A channel by Interbino. I did not believe that Minnesota could beat Notre Dame. Could beat Penn State. Uh, anyway, uh, Minnesota coming off a. Nine win year. PJ Flax gotten a little uh, a little heat of late. They lose Mo Ibrahim. Um, you know Trey Potts transferred. John Michael Schmitz, the center's gone. Um, 
But, you know, Kelly McManus, Ethan Kelly McManus played, uh, you know, mm-hmm. played quite a bit last year. He comes back now, got a couple of transfers at wide receiver and running back from Western Michigan to try to fill some holes in PJ's old stomping grounds. They've got a, they've got a date at North Carolina and you're going to see a lot of this over the course of the year too. They've got a game at North Carolina and one of their portal guys is from North Carolina. If you, you could do entire mini series on guys returning to old stomping grounds, both coaches and players, mm-hmm. but Minnesota figures to be what they've been recently solid they won nine games last year they've got seven this year they open uh, with nebraska at home the game against carolina on the road that i mentioned they do have michigan they're at iowa they're at ohio state they've got uh, they obviously have wisconsin the axe game at the end seven seven seems like the the push number here but taylor and sarah won't allow us to go push um I'm 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 going to go under and say and say they're probably six and six. I, I may be happy to be proven wrong here, um, but I'm I'm going to go under with Minnesota. Well, I'll uh, I'll take the over. Uh, I think that North Carolina game, Reese, becomes a really interesting game in the conference depth conversation, which happens throughout the year. Uh, North Carolina has South Carolina to open, which is our college game day game, and then. That in three weeks. So North Carolina is going to be a really interesting barometer to me for the ACC. Uh, it would not surprise me if Minnesota went down there and uh, and won. There's a lot of belief in Athen Calic-Manis there. Uh, they lost a lot on the O line. Like it's been an O line driven program there under PJ Fleck. But mm-hmm. you know, from from being around those guys at Media Day, there's a good confidence that uh, you know that that who they have in the building can help uh, can help replace them. Uh, Brevin Span Ford is one of the five best tight ends in the country. Um, he may not be like dynamic, super dynamic like Brock Bowers, but he's a he's a first two day NFL prospect and, and really a guy I'm looking forward to see continue to uh, break out this year. Um, they dipped the last time Kirk Soraka left when he had his uh, dalliance with Penn State short lived. I think that was the COVID year, and uh, he and James Franklin soon departed ways after he returned and uh, again. Got them, got them back on, uh, you know, back on the tracks last year. Uh, Matt Simon and Greg Har—it's not Harbaugh, I believe it's Harbo. Um, and you might want to check that one before Week One of Game Day. But that's my impression. Is as co-offensive coordinators, I think they're going to try to continue to do more of the same of of, of what they did under Soraka, which is which is balance, ease Calic Manis in, and roll from there. Uh, the place they've been really solid is defense. Joe Rossi is probably uh, the most underrated defensive coordinator in their country. He's been fantastic for them. They have produced top stout units year in and uh, in, in year out. So that's a long way to say. Uh, I think uh, I think the Gophers will be smiling with eight. Here's a prop bet you didn't know was coming on Minnesota. Last year... Uh, two years ago, only the service academies attempted fewer forward passes than Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Last year, the only teams, well, no one in the Power Five attempted fewer forward passes than Minnesota. And only the service academies, UMass, UConn, and New Mexico uh, attempted fewer forward passes. So this is a question I have for you, Pete. Last year, Minnesota threw 281 passes, okay? 
the three service academies through, let's see, 230. That's like a a long weekend for BYU. (laughs) Yeah, 317 forward passes. So the three service academies combined barely outdistanced Minnesota in forward passes. Will Minnesota throw more passes this year than the three service academies combined? My answer to that is is yes. I think in part because uh, Mo Ibrahim is gone. So he was one of the main reasons why they just kept feeding the ball and feeding the ball. Now, he was obviously injured. Uh, was that two seasons ago? He got injured yes, he in the played, Yeah, he played, he played last year. Yes. Yeah, so he did play last year. So um, Kalik Manis is a more talented guy. I think basically in P.J. Flex's whole career, he's had two quarterbacks, right? Because mm-hmm. they had uh, the— Oh, man, I'm not going to remember the Western Michigan's quarterback name. Reese, help me. Zach Terrell. Zach Terrell. Terrell, thank you. Yeah, he won the, uh, he won the Campbell Trophy. Too. Yeah, great kid. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. great kid. Yeah. Um, so can Chris Ottman-Bell and Devin, uh, sorry, Brevin Spanford be enough to, to, to give Cali Manis some targets? I think so. You know, I think that they're going to need a little more balance pushing forward. So I'll, I will take the over on that and the wins. Okay. So from Minnesota, we move to Nebraska. Abject disaster. Bunch of close losses the last couple of years. Matt Rule taking over uh, the epitome of the overuse. Got to fix the culture. Um, you know, I think worst winning percentage since 1957. They've had six straight losing seasons. They've lost 19 of their last 23 uh, one-score games. I mean, that's uh, they've lost 14 games by single digits in the last two years. I mean, that's you know that's stunning. Nebraska uh, got Jeff Sims in from Georgia Tech to play quarterback. Um, Brock Purdy's brother Chubba's in in there too. Nebraska over under six, which would uh, be a marked improvement. What do you got? I'm going to take the over on Nebraska. I think they're going to run the quarterback a lot, and I just trust Matt Rule finding ways to win games with special teams and in the fourth quarter, which Scott Frost did not do. I'm a big believer in Matt Rule. Uh, for two years, every job that came open, I was like, try to get Matt Rule to come back from the NFL. And you know what's coming next. If I say something like that, I'll tell you that I'm taking the under. Uh, the one thing is it's had ta- it has taken – now, Nebraska's not in the same type of situation that Temple and Baylor were. But Matt's first years, those two places were struggles, to say the least. So I'm going to, I'm going to take the under on Nebraska at six. Uh, before we get to the most negative one, let's let's go ahead and do Purdue. Purdue has a new mm-hmm. coach, Ryan Walters, coming over, defensive coordinator from Illinois, to take over the Boilermakers. Um, they went eight and six last year. They low key, they got a really really good uh, quarterback in the portal. I, I've always really liked Hudson Card, mm-hmm. the Texas transfer. Graham Harrell is running the offense there for them now. Um, be a little bit different thing, maybe a little more emphasis on defense. The over-under for Purdue is five. Where do you stand on that? It's hard to say only four, but boy, they opened Fresno at Virginia Tech, Syracuse, Wisconsin, Illinois. Like it's, that's a, 
that is the the schedule maker did not do Ryan Walters any favors. Um, but that said, I don't think they're going to win three games. Uh, Hudson Card, they have been blown away by Hudson Card. There, uh, saw I saw Hudson and Ryan Walters at uh, Big Ten Media Day. They feel like they feel like he's going to be a you know a viable high end Big Ten quarterback. Um, and look, the talent has always been there with uh, with with Hudson Card. So yeah, shoot, I'm gonna take over over, over four on that. That's a, that's a low number. But well, is it five? If I said four, it's five. It's the number. Okay, is five. yeah. I, I just. I mean, I don't think we can bet even, right? So if I'm going to take over right. or under, I'm going to take over. Okay. Uh, I'm going uh, – I'm looking – let's see. One, two, three, four. I'll take the over. I'll, they'll sneak one out and get to six, but that's that's probably going to be about it for them. Um, let's wrap up. I mean, obviously, Northwestern has been horrible the last two years. Three and nine, one and eleven last year. Then you have the Pat Fitzgerald change and all of the allegations that are swirling around the program. They had a couple guys leave uh, as a result of it that they had hoped to um, uh, hope to get some productivity from. They were horrific with minus nineteen and turnovers last year. They've got a guy running the program now on an interim basis, David Braun, who just got there. So. You know, and, and they lost some talent, uh, both on both lines of scrimmage. The over/under number for Northwestern is three and a half, and I'm going under hard. Yeah, it's just hard to make a case for the for the over with uh, with, with with all the with all the tumult that's existed there. I do think they've had a handful of transfers, younger players leave the program, uh, talented guys, maybe not guys who are like penciled in to start, but a place like Northwestern, you just don't have much quality depth. So I feel like by the end of the schedule, they close Iowa at Wisconsin, Purdue at Illinois. That's the kind of thing that can really catch up to you. So you got to think they beat UTEP. You got to think they beat Howard. Um, after that, all bets are off. They picked a bad year for Duke to be really good because I think Duke's mm-hmm. going to be really good. So that that road trip is a challenge. Again, I'm bullish on Rutgers. Uh, I, I, boy, that'd be something for David Braun if they went there and won on that Sunday CBS game, noon game. Everybody's watching, no NFL, uh, but it's just hard to see everything coming together that quick. I agree. So I don't know what the final total was on over-under. I think generally we are guys who root for the success of the teams. Anybody that I you know, voted under on, it's not because you know I hate the team. I, I want I want all these teams to have success, you know, as much success as they can. But everybody, you not only hate the team, Reese, you hate their whole fan base. So they should let you know. Right? <laughs> well, they'll, they'll think that no matter what I say or what kind of caveat I try to offer at the end. We're going to do this with every conference in the country, starting with B1G. Not sure where we're going next, but you know, we'll figure it out. What do you think? Let's see if they, like, all the conferences still exist by the next time we tape. Yeah, we're, we've got to save Pac-12 for late just in case it's not the same. I'm joking. Pac-12 after for, dark or after this season, grave? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> after this, obviously this season they'll be the same. So, kid, because we care, as a fine sportscaster once said. So right now we're we're one thirty on uh, on Thursday afternoon, and uh, the latest news that will probably have 17 more things bury it by the time someone is listening to this, is that there was a Big Ten President's meeting Thursday morning. In that meeting, they took no vote, but they did authorize Tony Petiti to sort of run out the ground balls of expanding with Oregon and Washington, find the details, gauge their interest, etc. This does not guarantee 
that Oregon and Washington are going to be offered or will get in. But it's just another step in the process. And uh, I think that is a really interesting... So there's two forces at play here, Reese. And I think today, Thursday, the Big Ten force looms bigger than the Big 12 force. But they're tied together in this weird symbiotic Spider-Man gif of, okay, the Big Ten only wants to go if the Big 12 takes these teams. Well, those teams maybe only want to go if Oregon and Washington are gone. So everyone's sitting, staring, waiting, watching. Um, in terms of a, a checkmate for the Pac-12, the Big Ten obviously has the strongest hand. They've put them on the precipice of this by taking USC and UCLA. And the one interesting thing is that it does not appear as of now to have full, full support. Now, all votes are unanimous. We know that, mm, right? Yeah. But the, the notion of bringing in those two schools is not as warmly embraced as may be needed. Um, USC entered the league with with the big thought of its competitive advantage being we're going to own LA. And if you're west of the Rockies, this is the only kind of way to play in LA. It's the only LA option. Um, and any other school recruiting in LA is going to make half as much money in us. So that was a big deal internally at USC. I was told today it was not like a negotiated part of the deal with Kevin Warren at the time, but for the stakeholders at the time, much of, many of whom have changed, virtually all of them, except for Carol Fultz, the president, that was a big deal. So how there, there's two stakes here for, for this thing getting pushed through. I guess I can say three. One is how much will Carol Fultz, the USC president, push back on that? to secure the competitive advantage. Two is the general rank and file Big Ten teams and the Blue Blood Big Ten teams do not get any more money from this. So if you're sitting in Ann Arbor, Columbus State College, or Bloomington, West Lafayette, or even Evanston, do you say, okay, we'll throw them a lifeline with nothing coming in return. We'll pay more for travel and not get anything back. So there is a little sense of like, ambivalence maybe like well why should we do that mm -hmm. so um and the third thing is like oregon which has a sizable ego and in, in deep finances do, do they just like not want to come in at a cut rate as a as an inferior member when they think if this pack nine to ten holds together conceivably they could dominate it now, although they haven't, especially when they play Utah, but they could they could dominate it and you know go to the CFP a lot easier than battling through SC, Michigan, Michigan State. So I would think those are the three looming factors right now, and I just think the conversation from what I've talked about the people I've talked to this morning has changed more to an Oregon and Washington thing. Now, the Big Ten doesn't want to look destructive. Arizona doesn't want to pull the pin on the Pac-12. So again. Everyone's standing in a circle, staring at each other. And my only sad prediction is it probably won't happen soon, Reese. Because universities, when given the option to make a decision, will choose delay every time. Kick the can down the road. And I did notice in your excellent article, and understandably using that phrase, that um, the Big Ten doesn't want to appear destructive or they don't want to appear predatory, I believe was the word you chose. Well, <laughs> It's a little no, it's, I know. it's a little late for that. I mean, and don't misunderstand that Big 10 fans. I don't fault you for that for this because it's business. USC and UCLA are attractive properties. Prior to that, Maryland was an attractive property. The most fortunate team in the entire world, most unfortunate most fortunate program is that Rutgers uh who played in the first ever college football game but candidly 
doesn't have a ton of value has somehow been grandfathered into this whole thing with the powerful Big Ten and good for them. You know, it's um they've they've aligned they aligned themselves wisely back in the day when the Big Ten got an ACC school in Maryland and they got a couple of Pac-12 schools in USC and UCLA. It's business, but nothing wrong with it. But it's way too late to worry about how you appear. I think and in yeah. you know in terms of Very that. Fair. I mean, you know, yeah. I, I think that's fair, but that's how these presidents think. Remember, the presidents are in charge. Mm-hmm. The commissioner is a byproduct of the presidents. I feel like this moment may be most interesting, Reese, in that here's Tony Petiti, comes in, fairly anonymous guy on the landscape. You may know him from back in the mm-hmm. day as a TV executive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know he's held in very high regard in the TV yes. world, and he's made great first impressions all around the league. Um, he's now, this is his first test, Right. If he really wants to get this home, and I think Fox, um, which obviously has a controlling portion of the Big Ten's rights, would be interested in getting two valuable properties uh, on the clearance rack, mm-hmm. right? So can Tony navigate the political thicket to deliver those teams? It's, an, it's, a, fascinating, it's a fascinating plot twist here. And, um, you know, would they pull the trigger if Arizona stays? There's, there's a... Stop me if you've heard this before. There's a Pac-12 president's meeting on Friday. There's expected to be some resolution. I don't expect any resolution because there's been a lot of meetings without a lot of resolution. So I'm going to bet on precedent there. But you have people pledging fidelity to the Pac-12 and trying out the new Apple deal. And then you have people exploring other options. People are consistent. The only thing consistent is that everyone's talking out of both sides of their mouths. And I... I guess I would still, like I, I predicted this last time, and uh, I sort of chuckled as I saw it aggregated a few places or thrown back on Twitter, but I, I would still think the Pac-12 not making it is probably the best Vegas bet at this point. But there is a path that could lead everybody to, to hold together, again, probably for a short period of time, but there is a path there. It's really fascinating to watch that play out on the West Coast and have Florida State kicking and screaming on the other side of the con- continent saying, somebody, somebody pay attention to us because we want to move too. You know, and that's another issue. I think, did they, did they go into executive session and then they had their trustees quoted right and left? And I mean, they're not making yeah. any bones about it. There's, there's not, no. they're really only talking out of one side of their mouth. Uh, well, maybe, yes. maybe both sides too, because there is the obligatory, we'd like to stay in the ACC, but, and, you know, they're, they're letting it be known that they are ready to be courted if someone is uh, willing to court them. Because yeah, I, I would so have to I, imagine, Pete, given the way these things work, if Florida State had something, some backroom deal like everyone always suspects, well, they wouldn't be so vocal about this right now. That's what I would, that's what I would assume. If they had, if they knew how this was going to play out for them, they'd be a little quieter about it. Uh, th- that's my, that's my gut on it. Yes. Uh, I'm confident in two things. One is last summer's blockbuster temper tantrum came in College Station when Jimbo Fisher and Ross Bjork uh, threw a hissy fit on Nick Saban, and nobody ended up looking good. Well, Florida State Florida State said, we'll, we'll trump you and roll out our president <laughs> to, <laughs> to throw shade at the league that we have to play in. The league we've been pretty mediocre in, quite frankly, uh, for the past six or seven years, um, at least till, till last season. And look, Florida State should be good this season. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like, it was just... 
it was it was so jarring, Reese, because it's so against like sort of the conventional conformities of how college athletics work. But I do know this: they don't have anywhere to go. Right. If they had somewhere to go, they would be the quietest little church mice the Tallahassee's ever seen. Um, and it's the it's the reason why I predict and feel strongly that when this August fifteenth deadline comes. August 16th, they'll do the walk of shame back to Charlotte, Greensboro, whatever, and be like, hi guys, remember <laughs> us? We'll, we'll be, we'll be, we'll be hanging out for the next year. Uh, the joke I used uh, explaining this to my wife yesterday was like, it'd be like breaking up with your high school girlfriend over a megaphone in the parking lot. Uh, except there's a contract which says you can't break up with her. So it's like, but that's sort of like, like declaring your intention and hope to break up with her, um, just so everyone would, would hear it. Uh, yeah, subtle as a sledgehammer, but this is not new. That's the thing. No. Like that, the, the 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 tenor and the volume is new, and saying so much that it led Sports Center last night is new. Um, but the wishes have been well articulated, mm-hmm. and so there was a lot of eye roll emojis coming to me from every corner of the ACC, both the league office and you know schools up and down uh, up and down that league yesterday. It's like, yeah, guys, we we get it. Um, I will say. That is not a way you want to act to have a league come court you, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you think in in uh, suburban Chicago and in Birmingham they reacted to that behavior? Because all they do is think, what would we do if one of our members did that? Mm-hmm. Like, that. So I would just say that they overstunted there and didn't impress anyone. And they'd still face hundreds of millions in exit fees uh, amb- ambiguity in legal uh, outcomes for their rights, and no invitation of anywhere to go. It seems absurd, but with the Big 12 having its media deal done, and with UCF already being in somewhat of a you know powerful position in terms of number of alumni, I saw it proposed that perhaps even U- UCF's rise and enhanced status and stable situation for the immediate future in the Big 12 now, uh, perhaps at Rankle some in Tallahassee also, as, as all of those in-state dynamics go on. And now it's not just Florida and, and, you know, because Miami's kind of in the same boat you're in, but it's not just Florida that you're dealing with competing with. Now all of a sudden UCF, which has, which has, posed as a you know a big time contender and has competed often at a high level but in terms of resources conference affiliation all of those types of things had been a significant step below the others now that step however you want to rank the big 12 in the ACC is not particularly significant at all and that 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 could be part of the jealousy and the dynamics and wanting to get something done and you know ultimately they want to make sure they keep up with Florida you know, in state, but, um, yes. but, you know, there's also the pressure coming from the other side now too, um, you know, with, with UCF being, being, uh, among the, among the upper echelon of conferences now, instead of cut below apologies to Michael Resco, who, when he hears this will be very unhappy with me characterizing the American in that way. Thanks for listening to the college game day podcast. We will be back with more previews as the season gets closer and closer. Bye.